The following podcast was made possible by the sponsorship of Teresa Leong Lee and by Catholic Digital Resources, where you can find downloadable faith formation resources and evangelization tools. Visit Catholic Digital Resources at CatholicDR.com to build your own faith and the faith of others. That's CatholicDR.com. Good News Ministries of GNM.org presents Footsteps to Heaven Life's a journey full of challenges. Sometimes we get stalled. Sometimes we get sidetracked. When we walk with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit to the destination that God the Father designed for us, the results are better than we could ask for or imagine. And now, here is your host, Terry Modica. In the name of Jesus Christ, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in thanksgiving for your goodness to me and in reparation for my sins, I offer to you, Father God, all of my day today, especially my pains and other sufferings, the challenges and trials that I face, my work, my service to others, my resistance of temptations, and my joys and blessings for the sake of the coronavirus and being healed from it, protected from it, etc. We'll do the Apostles' Creed together, and then we will normally, this is done with the rosary beads because you're using it to count 10 times. We're only going to do one decade of this today, but you can fill in the blank for any person or situation that you want well, basically, it's a person that you're praying for in a situation uh, that you want Jesus to set free from whatever is troubling them, whatever is blocking their faith, whatever is, um, is oppressing them that's not of the Lord. Uh, today, we're going to pray this for ourselves. So the blank is, uh, if the Lord sets me free, I will be free indeed. Okay, that's how it goes. So Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me, and so forth is how we'll do that. So we'll do the Apostles' Creed, and then we'll go right into those ten beads. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. If the Lord sets me free, I will be free indeed. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, free me. Now, when you do this five times, you would then, the next thing to say is, uh, go back to the first line, if the Lord sets me free, I am free indeed. But now we'll just go on to the ending prayer. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, O most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O, Clem o Clement, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Pray that in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the first thing that I want to talk about today is the darkness that's out there in the world. What are some of the, the darknesses, what are some of the evils that have been bothering you that, that you're aware of? Let's just name some. Abortion, premarital sex, pornography, many of the shows on television, yeah. I like the Hallmark Channel because they're wholesome. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. Yes, some commercials, yeah, yeah. Okay, mental illness, transgenderism, yep. We're all aware, aren't we, or you wouldn't be here, that these are evils. You know, the, there are many people, as we well know, who think that that's really not evil, that what we consider good is evil, and what we consider evil is really good. And... I would like to share with you now how we got to this point in our society. Because, yes, we know, I'm sure, because we, we, looking around the ages that are here, we are all old enough, even the youngest of us, to, have, to be able to remember better days when the, the immorality wasn't so rampant. And that it was, you know, the Christian mores were pretty much what society adopted, even if they weren't Christians. But the question then is, how did we get here? And was it a planned strategy by Satan? And the answer to that is something that I learned back in 1989 when I met a man who was an ex-Satanist high priest. I had published a book called Overcoming the Power of the Occult because, real quick background on me, I grew up in a Protestant family. Uh, I, I read about in church. I knew Jesus was my best friend as far back as I could remember. And in, in church, I, I read, I, or the stories were read to me about miracles that took place in the Bible, 
And I said to my parents, so how do we have these miracles today? Where's the miracles? I don't see them. And the answer that my parents, who had no clue what to, to how to answer, the, you know, their, their answer was, well, that was just to get the church started. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, we need it today too. And you know, I had a favorite kitty cat. And the kitty cat disappeared for several days. And I'm praying, Lord, Lord, please bring my cat back to me. And he did. And I said, oh, there's a miracle. You know, and but in my search for the supernatural, I ended up going into the occult. I tried everything but Satan worship because I didn't believe that demons were real. And that's one of the tricks that the devil uses is I'm not real. These, these messages that I'm giving to you are just, they're good messages that just come from your good heart. And I'm not tempting you. I'm not real. It's okay if you don't believe in me. Because demons can get away with so much more if we don't believe that they're real. So I did everything except Satanism because I didn't believe that demons were real. And that took me away from Christ because demons are real, and it's demons behind the power of the occult. And, and so they, they just took me away from Christ so that I no longer felt a need to go to church. I no longer felt, after seven years of doing this, no longer felt the um, need to read the Bible, pray. I had no relationship with God anymore. And that's when God brought into my life a man who was about to be ordained a priest. We became very close friends, and I tried to corrupt him to not be a priest. <laughs> you know, he, you should have marriage, you should have sex, you know, and, and very Protestant, but more than that, demonic influence I was trying to put on him, and he resisted that, praise the Lord. Uh, but he introduced me to the Eucharist, because one time when he was visiting my husband and me, uh, he said that he wanted to celebrate Mass. And I'm like, oh, come on. You don't have to go to church every week. And he said, yes, I do. And not only that, I'm a priest. I want to really use my holy orders. And so I agreed to take him to Mass. And he told me before Mass that, you know, you can't receive communion. I'm like, what do you mean? If you come to my church my Protestant church, which I wasn't going to, that, you know, you'd be allowed to receive communion. And he explained to me the supernatural thing that happens when the bread and the wine become Jesus. And by the grace of God, I believed him. And I said, there's the supernatural in the church as I've been looking for all these years. And that's how I became Catholic. That was the beginning of my, my journey into the Catholic Church. So after 12 years of being Catholic, I wrote a book. I've been a published author since um, 1982. And in 1989, a book was published called Overcoming the Power of the Occult, based on my experiences and other people's experiences and other research. And I was invited to speak to a parish group about the occult and the dangers of the occult and God. My, the point of my book is that Jesus is more powerful than those demons. Jesus is more powerful than the occult. And everything that the occult offers is a counterfeit of what God offers. 
And so the book is, uh, is all about leading people into the fullness of what God offers. And I was invited to speak to a group on that. And at the same time, this man who was an ex-Satanist high priest who had, be, had converted to being a Baptist was also invited to speak at the same event. And we met. And we became friends. And he came over to our house. We developed family, the whole family developed friendship with him. And he told me his story. We were going to write a book, co-author a book with his name not on it because his life was constantly in danger from his satanic coven wanting to kill him because he converted. And the, uh, so we spent a lot of hours with me interviewing him for this book, which never got finished because we got to a certain point and he just kind of like freaked out. He just emotionally was not ready to handle some of the truths that we were getting to at that point. It was when he was, had gone to college and became a high priest there. And, and it was at Princeton University Seminary. He was in seminary to become a Presbyterian minister. He had grown up in the Presbyterian church, his family, his Satan-worshipping family. He was part of what's called generational Satanism. It wasn't like a kid, you know, saying, you know, I wonder what this is like. Let me have some, you know, some ritual, satanic rituals and see what power I can have. He grew up in it. And the generational Satanists are amongst us everywhere. He told me at the time, with whatever population amount existed at the time in this country, he said, based on the size, they would have national gatherings with, uh, with Canada and the US getting together for national gatherings once a year. And he said, based on the number of people who showed up there, and figuring that there's a lot of people who also didn't travel to this, his guesstimate as to how many people in the US and Canada were Satan worshipers of this generational Satanism religion was 10%, which is a lot of people. And it's probably more than that now because you look at how much darker the world has become. He told me that as a, a Presbyterian, they were raised in a Presbyterian church to hide their identity as Satan worshipers. They wanted to look normal. They wanted to look safe. They wanted to look like Christians, not realizing that there's something different about Christians. You can't be possessed by demons and really look Christian. But they were able to get away with that in the Presbyterian church that they went to because the faith in that particular congregation was not strong enough to, to discern the presence of demons there. And he went to seminary in order to become a Presbyterian minister in order to corrupt his congregations. And he told me that that is the strategy throughout generational Satanism. They groom their kids to get into places of position when they grow up, positions of influence in the media, in politics, in higher education, in lower education, um, in, in the publishing world, you know, Hollywood, of course, 
any place of influence, they were positioning themselves with the agenda of using their influence to get everybody in society to follow Satan's primary principle, primary theological principle, which is that evil is good and good is evil. So think about how down through the years, the past few decades, we've increasingly pushed that envelope in the media, you know, in television, for example. One of the favorite TV shows that Ralph and I like to watch is The Lone Ranger, back from the late 1940s and 50s, you know, early 1950s. And it's so wholesome that, yes, it's the Wild West, and there's a lot of bad guys, and the Lone Ranger and Tonto have to beat up those bad guys, but you never see violence on screen. You see the punching part, but there's a, when somebody gets hit over the head, and poor Tonto, he gets hit over the head too many times, you know. <laughs> but when, when somebody gets hit over the head, whether it's Tonto or one of the bad guys, it's off screen. You see the guy going like this, and there's, you know, that's the end of the screen, and somebody's in, you know, just beyond camera view. And they don't even show you the body on the ground. Sometimes they will eventually show you the body lying there, but there's no blood. They're shot, and there's no blood. <laughs> Once in a while, you'll actually see a little tiny, they're shot in the heart, and there's just a wee little bit of, you know, of red there, you know. <laughs> but those wholesome days where they did not want to, sh and, and when they did show violence, it was all because it was the last resort. You know, the Lone Ranger always wanted to find a way to, to put an end to the violence these bad guys were doing and get them to justice, uh, put them into the court system so that the West would be where people would be safe and free to build their lives. And this was back, you know, taking place in the days when the West was just being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Settled. Settled, thank you, yeah. And so, you know, the, the, the point wasn't the violence. The point was, let's make this place a safe place to live. Nowadays, you know, it's hard to go to movies where, you know, violence isn't there just to be, glorified. You know, there, there are some movies, I love superhero movies, but I rarely go anymore because it's changed a lot over the years. And as I say, it's just a movie about mayhem. It's all mayhem. I mean, they're destroying whole, you know, skyscrapers and, you know, car crashes are caused by their battle with the bad guys and stuff. And, and it's, it's all about the battle. And the grosser it looks, the better, supposedly. Uh, so, I don't like going to the movies anymore, but this is what has happened. That's just television and movies is just an example of how we have progressed. Have you heard the story, the, the parable of how to cook a frog? Some of you have, some not? Okay. How do you cook a frog that's alive without him knowing that he's in danger? First, you put him into a pot with cold water. And he's sitting there happy. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in water. This is wonderful. 
and you just turn on the temperature just a wee bit. It's like, okay, this is getting a little bit warmer, but it's still fine. You turn it on a little bit more, and he's like, okay, I'm getting used to this temperature too now, and it gets worse and worse, and, he's, and he gets used to it until finally it boils his body and he dies. And that's a parable, modern-day parable, of what's been happening, the, the strategy that Satan worshipers have been doing. They've been turning up the heat so that what was once totally unacceptable has now become acceptable. And I always remembered what that man, that ex-Satan worshiper told me. He, at the time he told me, at the you know, 1989, 1990, 1991, at that time, most of society was still, there was a lot of selfishness going on. It was still basically Christian values were prevalent everywhere. And it was hard for me to imagine what the world would look like if they got their way. And so I naively thought, well, they're never going to get their way. But look at where we are now. When the, uh, the country's, the Supreme Court ruled that gays could get married, I said, that's it. Now, and you, see, and you watch people's reaction. You see it on Facebook, for example. Uh, now, truly, people think that good is evil and evil is good. And if we stand up against gay marriage, we're the evil ones. You want to say something? I was going to comment from the time we were fighting that. I mean, we even, in our church in Maryland, we even had um, the uh, bumper stickers of marriages, one man, one woman, and we were doing that whole campaign. And I said from the get-go there is the next thing you're going to do is you're going to have polygamy coming back. Mm. You're going to have um, bestiality. And there are, I've read about women who want to marry their cats and dogs. Yeah. yeah, that's the next obvious step, which seems absurd, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not absurd to those who've been, <laughs> when someone has de demonic influence, they will start to believe everything. And how does Satan get away with it? Satan's lies, you know, we say in the church, empty promises. We, you know, in, in the baptismal rite, you know, um, or the renewal of the baptismal vows that we have at, at Easter, it's like, do you reject Satan's empty promises? Well, they are empty promises. It's like cess, you know, like in cesspools. It's stinky. <coughs> but again, another little parable, imagine somebody who, you know, steps into a small puddle of cess. And it's like, okay, this is, you know, I can tolerate this. And then, the, well, let's say he's not just a puddle. You've got to imagine he's in a big vat, okay? And it's like, okay, I can tolerate this. And then it, more and more gets poured in there, and it gets higher and higher. And, but he's, because it's happening slowly, he gets used to the smell and, until it finally drowns him. And he doesn't realize he's drowning in cess because the smell has, you know, the, the nose has gotten used to the smell. The mind has gotten used to the lies. The mind has gotten used to the stink, the, the empty promises of Satan. You know, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a person feel better to follow Satan's lies, but they're tricked into thinking that they are. Why? Because there is an emptiness inside of them because Christ is not there. And that emptiness 
is what makes people say, okay, if that is offered to me as a solution to my problems, then that's got to be right. Now, the transgender thing, I'm sorry, but you can, you can go through operations and take chemicals into your body to, to claim to become the other gender, but if you're a man, you don't get rid of your, X, uh, your, uh, your Y chromosome. You know, if you're a woman, you don't get a Y chromosome when you change. You know, your chromosomes are either, ha either have the Y or they don't, period. And it's, it's, nobody can, nobody has the authority to change what God has made. When he makes a woman, a, you know, a girl, a girl, you can't change that. You know, it's like truth is the hardest substance of the universe because truth cannot be changed. People are all the time trying to change the truth, make their own truth. And all they're doing is they're not breaking the truth because it's unbreakable. God's truth is truth, period. But people break themselves against this hard truth. And when a person is empty, they will believe whatever is offered to them that seems to offer a solution to their misery. The, the whole idea of changing your gender in order to solve your problems, the people who go through that, nowadays, good is evil, evil is good. It's now considered evil to go to counseling. It's evil for a counselor to say, wait a minute, What's the root cause of you wanting this change? Counselors are not allowed to ask that question. They're not, they're, it's, it's evil to look into why this person wants this change. What psychological problems are they suffering from that if treated with the right psychological problems, and of course, if Christ came in their lives, that would be a big help. But even if they don't have Christ, there are psychological healing methods available. But that's verboten now. It's not allowed now. And so what, what happens to these people who actually have the, the sex changes, they are finding out that it's not making their lives better. It's not solving the problems because they haven't addressed the root cause. And they end up more messed up than ever because they, they're like, okay, now I did all this mutilation to my body and I, you know, how do you reverse that? It didn't solve my problems, so now I've got more problems. The suicide rate of people who have changed their gender is 60%. So they believed the empty promises of Satan. Sure. Just something on relevant radio. I had done an interview with kids, with teen. I don't know if they were college students, but they said, um, "So, what if I told you this guy? What if I told you I was a woman?" And they'd say, "Well, I'd say good for you." Clearly, he was a man. Hmm. Well, what if I told you that I was a cat? Well, if that makes you feel better and that makes you feel better about yourself, then yeah. What if I told you I was Chinese? Well, okay, you can be. You can say you're Chinese if you want to be Chinese. Well, what if I told you that I was um, three years old? Well, if you feel like you're three, you can be three, and I'd say good for you. 
then she then he said, well, what if I told you I was six five? The guy was probably you know five five, and she said, oh, I don't think I could. Well, that doesn't fly. And I'm thinking, so you just bought into the lies of everything else, but you couldn't get past his height. And I'm thinking, you, our kids are not. They they've been told they can be whatever they want to be. And you know, what if I decide I self-identify as a murderer? And I'm not talking about abortion. I'm talking about you know what is currently evil, considered evil, to do, you know, killing, killing people. Um, anyways, Archbishop Charles Chaput says that evil talks about tolerance only when it's weak. You know, tolerance is the big word, right? That's banning. It's like we're being intolerant if we say that it's wrong to have homosexual active relationships, or it's wrong to change your gender, or have an abortion, or anything like, you know, anything that we know in the church is wrong. When we stand on that, we're called intolerant, right? And we're supposed to be tolerant of all of Satan's empty promises. And as Archbishop Charles Chaput said, evil talks about tolerance only when it's weak. I'd like to read to you a few scriptures, and um, they're, they're, I've put them down in your notes in case you want to refer to them later. 2 Timothy, and that's uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. You must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents. Don't raise your hands, but how many of in, in here have uh, young adult kids who have left the faith? Um, anyways, I'll raise my hand to that. Ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, imp implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with con conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the outward form of godliness but denying its power. Hold the thought there. Holding to the outward form of godliness but denying its power. How many people go to Mass every week? Maybe they won't now because of the coronavirus. <laughs> but how many people go to Mass every week having the form of godliness but buying into Satan's empty promises, being tricked by that satanic strategy of evil is good and good is evil. I mean, I know, you know, people who are, they've struggled with the idea that, oh, my son is gay. Well, therefore, I have to, in order to love him, adopt the attitude of to each his own. I mean, I literally heard somebody say that to me. So this is somebody who prays the rosary every day, you know, and goes to church dutifully every Sunday. It's like, wait a minute. Do you understand the church teachings? Have you had good faith formation? And frankly, a lot of people have not had good faith formation as adults. A lot of us may have come from churches where there is no adult faith formation. We do have some good, you know, Bible studies and whatnot in our church. We have this here today. Uh, but adult faith formation has not been the greatest. And even the children's 
education has not been evangelizing enough so that they can hold firm to the faith when they go out into the world as young adults. And we've done a lousy job of that. I don't want to get into to all that right now, but there's an excellent book out there called Rebuilt, where a, a priest rebuilt his parish based on what he saw was working well in Protestant churches. He, made, he put the Catholic elements into it and has a very successful parish. And so he put out this book. And a few years ago, the priests of our diocese came to uh, their priestly convocation that they have once a year, and this priest was the speaker um, challenging everybody to, to adopt this kind of parish, and I don't think it's been adopted by any parish. So it's, yes? Our parish did prepare the, I can't remember if it was the welcome, was it one of the welcome that Bill Brown things? Anyway, at one point they did hand that book out to us. To Rebuilt, to yes. So I think that was when Father Bill was here, I think. No? no, no. no? Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Good, good. Uh, Ralph and I recently went on a weekend getaway vacation, and the church there, this was in Daytona Beach, um, they were doing this, and it was amazing. And one, and I'm I'm running out of time, but I I just want to share this. One of the things that they do is they take buses out to pick the homeless up to bring them to church, you know? And the people who sit next to the homeless are not afraid of them. They embrace them with love because the church is so on fire with the Holy Spirit, so on fire with the love of Christ. But anyways, I digress. So there are many out there who have the outward form of godliness but are denying its power. And I'm gonna be talking about that more in the, in the next talk. The next sentence says, avoid them. For among them are those who make their way into households and captivate silly women, in other words, women who are open to being influenced, overwhelmed by their sins and swayed by all kinds of desires, who are always being instructed and can never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So they, they will not make much progress because as in the case of, of Jambres, um, who, Janice and Jambres, who's mentioned in the previous verse, so I'm kind of skipping over that real fast, but their folly will become plain to everyone. I think now we're seeing more plainly the folly of those who are not following the teachings of Scripture and the teachings of the church. You know, it's becoming more and more obvious. The divide between good and evil is much more clear now, which is one of the blessings of that satanic strategy, making society think that good is evil and evil is good, well, guess what? We may be persecuted for it, but it's becoming more obvious who's the real Christian. It's becoming harder and harder to hide or to, I mean, hide's not the right word, but I mean, how many Christians have not been looking and behaving differently than the people around them? But as the people around them get more and more bizarre and more and more perverse, People are saying, wait a minute, I need to stop straddling the fence. I need to choose God and be totally on God's side. That has started to happen as a result of evil becoming much more prevalent. Okay, so I also wanted to mention John 16, 1 to 4. The, the whole idea of avoid them 
It's not talking about you don't reach out to them, don't, don't love, you know, don't uh, try to bring them to Christ out of love for them. It's talking about do not let yourself hang around them enough to be influenced by them. And like I said, the next one is uh, John 16, verses 1 through 4. I have said these things to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. They will put you out of the churches. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogue, out of the churches. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you think they will be, that by doing so they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. We don't see much of that happening except for the doors being closed due to the coronavirus. But knowing how this trend has been going, where evil is good and good is evil, where is that going to go? Is it possible that, that people in our own church, not here at St. Stephen's, of course, but we may, be, we may reach the day, and I don't believe we will, and I'll talk about that later, but we may reach the day when the persecution right here in this country, it's happening in other countries where people are arrested for worshiping and their own family members turn them in. Now, Ephesians 6 tells us, uh, verses 10 through 13, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh. Our struggle is not, other translations say, is not human beings. It's not against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, principalities, cosmic powers of this present darkness in the heavenly places. We need to remember that the real enemy is Satan and the demons, and this is where our real battle needs to be. So whether we're trying to convince somebody that they should not abort their child, or whether we're trying to, uh, to, to help somebody understand that they're, you know, whatever they believe that they think is good when it's really evil, we need to remember that, first of all, there's an empty hole in them someplace that they're trying to fill, that Satan's empty promises are promising to fill. And we need to remember that the battle is against the devil, not them. And we, there are things that we can do, and we're going to cover that later, including this prayer that we started out with that helps set people free from those demonic influences. I would like to right now explain this picture because I believe it shows what I'm talking about. It shows the way the world is. Uh, this, yes, I painted it. Um, but interesting note, I painted it going to uh, Pino's palette, you know, following a class thing, and I always make mine different than everybody else because I set, I set out, I pray the Holy Spirit, help me make something that's, you, that's really special with my own touch in it. And, and this is what came out. And after I got it home, and I started looking at it, analyzing, do I want to hang it up on my wall or not? Uh, a whole depth of meaning showed up in this, and I'd like to share that with you. Okay, first of all, we have on, on this side, the left, all this blue, which is a darker area. 
It's not total darkness. And we have on this side the, the bright yellow, which represents life in Christ. And on this side of what's in the vase are, and you can, you know, during the break that we're about to have, you can look at, um, look up close to see it. But there's little small flowers of different colors. The colors are kind of hard to see because A, it's in a darker area, and B, it's, in, um, it, it's smaller. Uh, obviously, the most noticeable ones are the red ones in the light, in the bright section of the painting. So there are a lot of Christians who are living in some light, but they're not fully blossoming. They're not fully being all that God created them to be. And so it's a diverse colors here because people with such a diversity of people. But what this, this can, notice this can is red and underneath it is white. The white is the, the graces that come through the sacraments. The can is the Trinity. The Father is the can itself holding us. The Father holds us. The, the water that gives nourishment to the, the flowers in it is the Holy Spirit. Whenever scripture talks about the flowing or the life-giving waters, it's a symbolism of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the red is Jesus and the blood of Christ. So when we are in God, in the Trinity, we can either remain in the darker area, not fully alive in the faith, believing some of the lies of the world, doing some of the things that the world says is okay to do when scripture says not and church teaching says not. And yes, we'll have some goodness. Yes, we'll have some life. Yes, we'll have some, some colors and some beauty to it. But when we live fully on the side, fully in the light, fully absorbing the sacraments, fully absorbing the water of the Holy Spirit, and fully benefiting from the blood of Christ, and fully being understanding how we are being embraced by God the Father, we thrive. And I originally made these flowers red because that's what the teacher said to make them. But I look at this as, as we are little Christ, which means our blood, red, we show the blood of Christ. And in our sufferings, which we're going to talk about later, in our sufferings, we are suffering with Christ, his blood, you know, his, his blood is showing on our lives when we suffer for him. You've been listening to Terry Modica of Good News Ministries. For more faith builders, or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website at gnm.org. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.